0: This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. One of my most embarrassing experiences fly fishing was due to something rather basic that nobody explained to me. That is, until they did. So shortly after I really started getting into fly fishing, and not long after I bought an Orvis rod, my friend Kevin invited me to fly fish with him on the Gallatin River, not far from Bozeman, Montana, where we lived. So we got out of our truck, uh, assembled our rods, attached our reels, and then we started stringing our line. Uh, You know, we ran our fly line through the guides. Well, it was at this point that Kevin kindly said, and I'm glad he was kind, Uh, Steve, let me show you a little trick about stringing your line. Uh, Just double up your actual fly line and run that up through the guides. Well, I was threading the tippet end of my leader through the guides. Well, I thought to myself, what a fool. Nobody should have had to explain this. It's so obvious.
1: Man, I learned that from you, right? So nobody had explained it to me either.
0: You mean you learned uh, how to... thread your guides, or you learned how to be a fool from me. Let's clarify (laughs) that.
1: Well, both. But uh, (laughs) I was thinking about the threading uh, of your line through your guides, right, as you're you're gearing up. Nobody had ever showed me that. I'd never crossed my mind.
0: Yeah, and and I remember after thinking, man, what a fool. But later I thought, huh, I, I wonder why nobody ever explained this. I mean, by that time, I had taken a fly tying class, Uh, I, I was decent at casting, I had caught quite a few trout, but here I was, a fly fisher, who didn't have a clue about the simple way to string his rod. Well, it's occurred to me since that there are a lot of parts of fly fishing that are underexplained, and you've observed this too, Dave, and maybe that's because there are so many little details that need explanation. Well, what we're going to do today is we're going to try to explain some of the most underexplained parts of fly fishing. Uh, I, I suppose that's a bit ironic because my family thinks that I'm always over-explaining things, so maybe I'm not the right guy to do it. <laughs> uh, hey, we get we get it, Dad. We get it. But anyway, here we go. Uh, Dave and I are going to talk about some of the most underexplained parts of fly fishing.
1: I think we should say that this is part one because. My guess is that we're going to get some comments from fly fishers who said, yeah, here was something else that wasn't explained. And if you have one of those, you should send it to us and we'll, we'll make this an ongoing series because I think there are tons of these. So the first and the one that I thought about initially was how to fish dry flies downstream, how to do that. And I'd never, I'd never really thought about that. And and I, because you're always taught to cast upstream and let the flies drift down, right? And so that's how, you know when you start out fly fishing, generally you get a big attractor pattern, uh, you get one or two flies, you get an Adams, you get a uh, uh, maybe an elk hair caddis, and then you're off and running, and everything you do is an elk hair caddis and an Adams, right? That's what you're you're, yeah. you're casting, but. I really didn't understand how to get on top of a run and fish it as the str- downstream. In other words, fish the dry fly downstream. It's tricky, right? Because it's tricky because that fly needs to drift naturally. And so to cast it downstream requires a certain kind of cast. And so you and I were fishing with our friend Dave Cumbling, I think it was on the East Gallatin. And I watched him for about 20 minutes cast and he was getting on top of these tiny little runs and and figuring out a way to cast so that, that he had a lot of drift and he could drift that fly. He caught like two or three while we were just watching him. And so the point here is what I call, well the way you do it is through what's called the parachute cast or the pile cast. They're two different casts sometimes they're confused to be the same thing but the one is the parachute cast where you're casting down. and right at the basically at, at noon or at the 12 o'clock, you pull back and let that line come back. That enables the fly to have some uh, some lines so they can drift down naturally. So casting downstream is to me, one of the most underexplained. Uh, casting techniques in fly fishing. And it's so important because you can't always fish that run uh, casting upstream. So I would say for me uh, the first one is how to cast dry flies downstream.
0: Well and I'd say too that parachute cast is huge. That's, I'm not quite sure why that's not explained a little bit earlier in the process because you're right you, you've got your rod tip you're coming forward and when it gets about that 12 o'clock yeah when you pull it back it just sucks all the energy out of that line so it, it just kind of drops uh softly to the surface but but also kind of in waves instead of a tight line it's it's in these is kind of these s patterns and so uh yeah i i just didn't know that either uh for a long time so that that's a that's a good one i think another one would be uh, leaders, tippet, size of hooks. I mean, during the early years of fly fishing, I'm ashamed to say this. I tied on a new leader every time I sensed that my tippet section was too large. You know, after uh, you tie on a few flies, you, you get from, uh, if it's supposed to be 6x tiny, it becomes 2 or 3x, you know, the size of a rope. And, and I, I didn't, Understand that the concept of buying tippet and tying, you know, 6x tippet onto the end of that leader every so often, and so I think that's a huge one. You know, for that matter, tippet size is confusing. Uh, a lot of newbie fly fishers throw on a streamer with a five or six x tippet, and and they they struggle to cast, and that just not explained very well. And then even something as simple as hooks, you know, that the larger the number, the larger the size hook, the smaller the fly. So uh, a size 18 fly is smaller than a a size 14. And uh, I don't know, I think some of those things, people assume, well, those are more caught than taught. And, you know, you ask one question and it makes sense, but uh, yeah, that's something that can be very confusing. And and if uh, you're new to fly fishing, yeah, understand that. You, you buy a leader, but the idea is then that you keep tying tippet onto the end of that leader, uh, whatever the tippet size is. And you can use that leader for a long time. If you're fishing a small dry fly and, and uh, you have 6X tippet on, which is really tiny, uh, and then you decide, man, I'm going to start stripping streamers because nothing's happening. Well, then you can tie on a, you know, a 3X tippet, perhaps, or a 4X tippet, or whatever, depending on the size of your, uh, your your streamer. So, yeah, those things sometimes are not explained very well, but when you get that down, it, it just, just helps a lot. It, it makes it less complicated.
1: I think of when we fish on the Blue River west of Madison, and we only do that in the wintertime generally. It's one of our winter places to fish, and in in part because of the type of stream it is, in part because it gets really crowded. But let's say it's winter and you're fishing nymphs, and you're fishing a size 18 or size 20 nymph with a strike indicator, and then you decide, I'm going to switch to streamers. <laughs> so if you're using a 6x ticket, tip it, and, and then all of a sudden you tie on a size 8 or size 10 even woolly bugger you're like why can't I cast why you know it's just so frustrating and you don't realize no you've got to change actually your leader you need to get to sometimes even a 2x or a 3x tippet, right so these are the things that when you're new to fly fishing and even some of those fly fishers that have been in the river for several years they don't fully understand that. So I would agree that is just another one of those underexplained and well all those things you mentioned are underexplained parts of of fly fishing. Uh, Another one I would say are the different ways to strip streamers and there's just no information on this and for example for years I didn't realize that some people drift. They dead drift streamers and you can do that and i've done that to great effect in in the driftless where i sometimes will drift off a black woolly booger at the top with a strike indicator and then i'll drop a san juan worm often that happens in the winter sometimes in the blue sometimes it's the most effective thing sometimes they'll hit the streamer sometimes they'll hit the san juan worm that's drifting behind it so dead drifting a streamer is something i didn't know you could do well that's only one way to to work a streamer so uh, again, we're referring to Dave Cumling again, our friend. But man, watching him uh, strip streamers and how he throws it to the bank and then twitches it with the with the rod tip, and oh my gosh, and and how to when you're stripping a streamer, you know, right at the end of the drift, slowly lifting up your rod tip. Sometimes you get a hit right there. So there are so many ways: throw it across and let it drift, throw it upstream, let it drift. There just isn't. A really good book or a good video to talk about it. I'm sure there is, by the way. I just haven't found it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think you're right. That's that's something that's underexplained. You know, another one is adjusting the depth of your fly, and this particularly relates to fishing nymphs, wet flies. But I I think the idea of go deeper is often explained. You know, that's a thing. Keep your nymph at the bottom, but fishing a bit closer to the surface during a hatch isn't talked about as often again the conversation may eventually go there but I've been surprised how often uh, when I'm not having any success on on the bottom and I know I'm at the bottom somehow uh, taking weight off as well as putting weight on can work And, and if there's any kind of a hatch going on I mean, on a particular day, even if you're not right in the middle of a hatch, uh, if, if there've been blue wing olives that are coming off of the uh, the water periodically, man, even between those hatches, I just found that 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 having uh, a fly close, maybe, maybe it's it's even halfway between the the surface and uh, the bottom, even in that window, that's effective because it, it looks like a, an emerging you know nymph and. And then sometimes, uh, especially right before, right during the hatch, having something just under the surface, under the film is really effective. And, you know, maybe that's another part, too, that gets underexplained. I think people think just put on a ton of weight and you know that you are dragging the bottom when you get snagged. And, well, that's just a wonderful feeling, isn't it? Congratulations. You are, uh, uh, you're snagged and you're going to have to (laughs) tie on new flies, but... You've met your goal. You're at the bottom. And I just remember a few years ago when, when one of our guides uh, you know, just explained, he was really good with physics. He said, just watch the, just watch the bubbles on the surface of the, the river and then watch your strike indicator. And when your strike indicator is moving more slowly than those bubbles, in other words, the bubbles are passing your strike indicator, you know that your depth is right because uh, that the current at the bottom is slower than at the top. And in fact, even when he said that, he said it in a way like, well, I'm sure I'm telling you something that you already know. This is pretty obvious. And I thought, this is not obvious. I've never <laughs> heard this before. So, yeah, there you go.
1: And that actually is the benefit of going out with a guide. If you have a good guide, he or she is a, is a teacher right and is in a sense mentoring you and and that actually gets to the next point which is um, another one which is our fifth one is paying attention to stream side etiquette so if you're new to fishing in general that's an issue you don't realize that you know there are certain things with fly fishing that may be unique but if you're coming also from let's say bait fishing or Uh, artificial lures, there's also some things that are unique as well, and certainly one for both of them is this idea of fishing a crowded run. And this this idea here actually came from a TU forum thread that I was reading. Trout Unlimited has a forum if you're a member of Trout Unlimited. I typically, it comes out actually once a day, they, they send out an email. And I'll follow up and start to look at some of the threads. And one was complaining about being in the Barnes pools out in Montana. And the guide had set up one of his uh his, his he had two clients one of them was at the be- top of the pool and or one of the pools and one was at the bottom and they camped out there all day or at least for the morning and by the way the Barnes pools are in yellowstone but they camped out in in one of the holes all day long or at least for <laughs> three hours well that's, oh, i bet that went over well <laughs> yeah. oh my goodness and some fly fishers uh and we're all different types some people like conflict and they'll say hey what you know what the heck get out you know or hey it's my turn do you know that you know or explain it others will just move on but you know at the end of the day in a crowded run like the infamous barn barns pools in yellowstone national park you cast once and then move downstream a couple steps after your retrieve so you're always moving it's it's like well, it is a like a steelhead run since in the fall those are steelhead in actuality it's like a steelhead run, so you're casting but you're moving so that you allow other people behind you you just can't it's not like whoever gets there earliest in the morning gets to have the run all day that's not how it works in fly fishing so there were some things with streamside etiquette that i just you know i just didn't really know, and I think one of them certainly is even on smaller streams to keep moving you just you, if there are people behind you, then you keep moving.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, as we talk about some of these things, it reminds me that that fly fishing is kind of a lifetime journey of picking up little hacks and tricks. And, you know, I, I think even in this podcast episode, I can beat myself up at times. I like, should have known this or I should have known that. But I, I guess as we're kind of going through these I would just say to new fly fishers don't don't stress out if there are things that that you discover and you you're embarrassed because you didn't know them or you think yeah, you should have known them that's really them. good yeah. yeah because i mean we, we continue to run into things that things i do that's like oh i i should have thought of that i didn't know that so yeah that that happens and maybe that's part of the fun of fly fishing is is every year every I mean every time you're out on the river uh, you you may pick up something new whether you're by yourself or with a buddy or maybe with a guide and anyway uh, another uh, i think another underexplained uh, what technique that uh, that i just didn't discover or, or really practice until a few years ago was was to use a backhand cast when you're in a tight spot so you're along a stream and you're standing there, and let's say the stream is flowing from right to left, and you want to cast upstream. Well, upstream is right. And if you're right-handed, and, and maybe there's brush on either side, maybe you know, there's trees behind you, well, how do you cast to the right as a right-hander? Well, it's actually very simple when you learn it. And maybe that's why it's kind of frustrating to think, you know, all those years, I didn't know that. I made it harder than it needed to be. But all you do is is to cast downstream to your left for your forward, or really, for your back cast. That's like your back cast. And then the, the cast that goes upstream, kind of your forward cast, is simply with your backhand. It's almost a backhand flip. And, and you have to look around and watch it. But in other words, you don't have to twist and contort your body, or stick your arm way out to try to, uh, you know, cast upstream. Just a simple backhand slip. And I know that sounds simple, and I suspect there's some fly fishers that probably picked that up on day two instead of uh, year 15 like I did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oh, man. But, hey, to all of you year 15 folks, uh, that's okay. And that's a very helpful tip.
1: And the corollary to that is when you make right before you make that flip upstream is to uh, the corollary is to lift up the tip of your rod before you make that flip so that you don't have so much line in the water and and, and by just simply lifting up that tip and before you flip it you get a, you'll get a much more uh, accurate cast.
0: Yeah that's a great point. I was thinking about you know if, if you just get to the river obviously you need one or two cast downstream to get the line out but so once you've drifted it downstream and you're out of your hot zone and you're ready to make that back cast you don't do a false cast like you say Dave you just lift the tip of your rod up so it lifts line off a lot of the line off the water and then you just you know flip it back yeah. and yep it's it's that simple
1: yeah that that's simple. A, that's a good one that and uh, and and it just helps you uh, fish different kinds of rivers, right? And and none of us are fishing these perfect rivers that give us the right angle exactly that fits how we like to cast. And so learning some of these techniques, whether like the parachute cast, you know, downstream or like this uh, backhand cast that you're talking about, uh, I think are just invaluable. Yeah, I would say number seven, which is our final one, and this is more of a tip, is just simply to fish right above and below the fishing access points on the river where either people put in or take out. And you know, some fly fishers aren't ready for that first run or tend to overlook it. It's just amazing how people stop fishing that last half mile. They're getting ready to take to, to take out if they're if they're taking out. Or after they put in, they're they're just they're getting ready. And so there are a lot of good runs that don't get fished. In that first, you know, maybe the plus or minus 100, mi- you know, 100 yards upstream, 100 yards downstream. So I think, you know, sometimes you might get discouraged. Like you, you go to the river and there's just a lot of people putting in and and taking out, and you think, no, there's some good fishing here, and I just need to figure out, you know, and just start fishing it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're talking mm-hmm. about uh, <clears throat> people who are floating those big rivers in their drift boats, and I've I've experienced that a lot in the Yellowstone, and I remember. Uh, uh, one particular access point it wasn't too far from where my folks lived on the the Mill Creek uh, drainage in Paradise Valley, where it emptied into Yellowstone. And I remember a certain spot where a lot of fly fishers put in and took out. And man, I I would go about a hundred yards up above that, and there was a good run, and I, I would catch fish there. And again, somebody somebody gave this idea to me, but it was years into my fly fishing and and it's been, yeah, it's been gold. It's been a great, uh, uh insight. But again, one of those things that is underexplained, and, and I guess when we say underexplained, it, it, it can either be literally underexplained or it's just down there. If there's 158 things to know, it's 130 seconds. So you just don't get there Yeah. Uh, yeah. until, you know, somebody happens to make a random comment. So Yeah, I guess what we're saying is, uh, hey, don't be discouraged, Uh, you know, keep your ears open, keep learning things, and, wow, you never know when you're going to pick up another uh, hack or another idea that, uh, yeah, that nobody took the time to explain to you. So, yeah, like Dave said at the outset, if you have, uh, well, if you have some other things that you wish somebody would have explained to you early on, hey, please let us know, and, Uh, We'd we'd love to do another podcast on this. All right. Well, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Wow. I began this episode talking about how my friend Kevin taught me to string my line. That was probably 25 years ago. Now we're going to end this episode with a comment that he made a few days ago on an article that we posted. But this is an older article. It was about three years ago on the Glacier Park grizzly attacks that changed our relationship with bears. And we posted that on the 50th anniversary of the night that Glacier National Park had its first fatality from a bear attack. And what's crazy about that story is that the second fatality ever in Glacier National Park happened, get this, the same night about eight miles on the other side of a majestic
1: mountain peak. That's just amazing. It's just it's it's oh. it's like the twilight zone.
0: Oh, I know it really is. You know, in that article, we also talked about the death of Brad Treat in June 2016 when he was mountain biking in Glacier. Uh, Treat was a U.S. Forest Service law enforcement officer, and he he rounded a curve on, on a trail on his mountain bike, and he ran right into a grizzly. And sadly, the bear mauled and killed him. All right, here's Kevin's comment on this article. Great article and a must read for anyone venturing into grizzly country. I was just in Missoula last week and read an article about the increasing range of grizzly bears in Montana. Based on the map that accompanied the article, none of my favorite fishing locations are outside of grizzly range. I will always carry bear spray when fly fishing these places. Also, I don't know if I ever told you, but Brad Treat was a friend of mine. And I'll just stop there and say, I did not realize that. Yeah, Brad Treat was a friend of mine. We both ran track and cross country for the University of Montana. By the way, for those of you uh, in other parts of the world or even in other parts of the United States, uh, uh, the University of Montana is in Missoula. Uh, Kevin continues he says Brad's death was so tragic and I'll never forget where I was when one of our former teammates shared the news with me my heart still aches for his wife and family who have to live with the daily reality of his passing anyway thanks for your research and work in writing this fantastic article
1: I am so sorry that he lost his friend That that is heartbreaking
0: yeah it really is it really is Wow, and I, I know sometimes we feel like, well, we're, we're overstating this, but uh, carry bear spray. I mean, already uh, this is, uh, we're recording this episode in the middle of the summer and we've already seen stories of a number of bear encounters with uh, uh, tourists. And I don't know if any have specifically been fly fishers, but they've been hikers in, in Yellowstone and in Glacier, you know, even other parts of Montana. So if you're in Montana, Wyoming, Idaho other parts of the west where uh, there are grizzlies uh, yeah you've got to carry bear spray and I think I think what Kevin said Dave is true for you and me that very few of our fishing locations in Montana and Wyoming are, are outside of uh, uh, grizzly country and I know there's some places on the Yellowstone and Paradise Valley where yeah I'm probably not going to run into a grizzly and that's and that's true, but you know, even where my folks live, my brothers uh, saw a grizzly just a mile or so up the, uh, the the road from the Yellowstone River on the Mill Creek Road. Oh one my! Year. Oh yeah. my!
1: I didn't know that. I don't remember yeah. you telling me that.
0: Yeah, it was down pretty low, so you never know when you know when you're going to uh, run into one. So it it pays to pays to be safe.
1: I just read a story the other day of someone who. Was hiking and rounded a corner and literally, like the biker, ran into a grizzly. Fortunately, the bear ran off, and so it was the opposite response. Instead of mauling uh, the hiker, uh, uh, the, the grizzly ran off, and so uh, yeah, I just think I think the grizzlies are expanding. You know, they were a plains animal, and so I think you know they could they could very easily continue to move in a sense down. Uh, down in a sense downstream uh, from the mountains and farther into the plains, because originally I think at least in the 1800s a lot of them were in the were in were in the plains area. So it's going to be increasing as the grizzlies increase, and and there's so much pressure now on the parks. It's so discouraging to me some in some ways uh, as more people want to get outside. There's just gonna there will be more incidences.
0: Well, that's very true. Well, we hope you don't uh, spend the rest of your day and evening uh, dreaming about grizzly bears. Uh, Do be careful, but uh, hey, enjoy the the great outdoors. And uh, hey, let us know if uh, there's something that you wished uh, you would have had explained to you early on in your fly fishing career. Well, that's going to do it for today. Hey, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River.
1: For the love of fly fishing.